Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Now is the time to bring new ideas to your industry. And T-Mobile for Business has the advanced 5G solutions to make that happen. We're helping rethink patient-doctor interactions with real-time data sharing. We're tracking carbon with 5G sensors to help fight climate change. We're partnering with cities to connect roadways, cars, and drivers to minimize injuries. Disruptive thinking deserves a disruptive partner. So let's get started on what's next for your business. Step up your innovation at tmobile.com slash now. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Pushkin. I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. I'm Ben Austin. We are two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is Some of My Best Friends Are. Some of my best friends are... Okay, you get it. (laughs) So in this show, we wrestle with the challenges... And the absurdities... Of a deeply divided and unequal country. And you know, one of the most visible ways this inequality has manifested in society is on the big screen. That's right, at the movies. And it's Academy Awards season. That's right, that's right, totally, totally. And you know, since it's Oscar season, we wanted to bring out our best friend and family... Jacqueline Mm -hmm. Stewart. She's back on the show. She's the director and president of the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. And we're going to check in with her about how she understands the movie industry in her new role and how race, identity, and politics work in the film industry. Let's do it. Hey, Khalil. Yeah, man. It's Oscar season, (laughs) the Academy Awards, the movie industry's biggest night. It's always fraught with identity and politics and race. Yep, yep. But it makes me think about why movies matter Mm. and then why they matter to me. You know, what movies are important. And I was thinking about a movie that has been really formative in my life. Uh And and I've got one that's kind of an oddball. Is it, it, I hope it's not X-rated. No, no, not at all, not at all. <laughs> only th- this podcast is only G. Um, so one day, my brother Jake and I, we take the bus from South Shore to Hyde Park, and we go to the Hyde Park Theater, and we pay our way to get into a double feature. And the first movie is Blazing Saddles, <laughs> and and Blazing Saddles is this Mel Brooks comedy 
Yeah, I think it's, I think it's from the early 1970s. So this is the early, probably the early 1980s that we go see it, and it's a parody of a western. Mm-hmm. It's set it's set in the West, and you know, up to that point in our lives, I'll say my movie going experience up to that point in my life was pretty much tagging along with my parents, but we <laughs> but we would go see the movies that they wanted to see. So that was my experience so far. So Jake and I sit down in this movie, Blazing Saddles, and you know it is uproarious. There, the the humor is like parody. It's like breaking the fourth wall. It is like a barrage of jokes. There are fart jokes. There are like <laughs> sight gags. There are like, um, you know, it is just like building and building and building. And at at, at one point, like like we are just um, our mouths are open. Mm. And and we turned to one. I don't even know which one of us said it. I think we almost both said it at the exact time. And we <laughs> said, they make movies for us. <laughs> yes. Well, all right. So my turn. So um, I've been thinking about this too. And of course, um, this film, I think for a lot of our listeners was revolutionary. And that is Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Mm. Uh, comes out in 1989. And for me, the issues in this film could not have been more relevant, more personal, more connected. I, at the time, across most of the 1980s, was living in New York City during the summers with my father. He lived for a time in Fort Greene, Brooklyn, where Spike Lee lived and was a visible presence on the streets. That was like the mid-1980s. So when the film comes out in 1989, like I know the world that he's created in this film. I have experienced it. And even though we are native Chicagoans, I had this you know, incredible childhood where I got to spend all these summers in New York. And of course, the film turns on the intense race relations of of 1980s New York. It culminates in a police killing um, and all the racism that is seething beneath the surface with white ethnics and Italians in particular and black folks and Puerto Ricans. All of it's there. I also like that movie, crazy formative for me. Um, I went to go see it with Danielle in 1989. We, we, My wife, we were just starting to date at that point. But but after the film, like this, um, this film where like you're just trying to process it, it's beautiful. And we go to River Oaks out in the in the southern suburbs to see it, which is what you did back in the 80s. We go to Bennigan's after to get a meal. And I go to the bathroom and I come back and there's a woman talking to Danielle, a black woman. Mm. And I get back to the table and the woman walks away. And the woman, had, Danielle turns to me and says, that woman just said to me, I saw you in the theater. After seeing that movie, how <sighs> could you be here with him? Mm. Meaning with a white guy. Mm. And I, I like sat down. I was like, was that the message of the movie? <laughs> like, I was like, I like wasn't pissed. I was like actually trying to still process the film. Like that movie was loaded in so many ways. Like, was that really the message? I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. You, you were diluting our racial stock. <laughs> the thing is, though, it's like many years later, I got to meet Spike Lee at Indiana University I was there as a faculty member, and he came to talk about how he'd been snubbed by the Oscars so many times in his career. And he yeah, talked about yeah. Do the Right Thing. He talked about Malcolm, Malcolm X. X. It's like I mean, a perfect movie, Malcolm X. Yeah. That's right. It's this incredible. guy was pissed. Yeah. And I don't think I really remembered at the time that the year that he didn't get an Oscar for Best Picture or Best Director, which was 1990 Oscars. The film did get two uh, nominations for orig- the supporting actor, Danny Aiello, and original screenplay. He didn't win any of them. So the film won yeah. nothing. Guess what won that year? Guess what swept the Oscars? <laughs> hmm. 1989, 1990. Not Scent of a Woman. Uh, that's like 92. Uh, what is it? 
It's Driving Miss Daisy. Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, <laughs> man. It's like I the mean, punchline to a joke. Oh, my God. It's so unbelievable that a film that sort of recapitulates the, you know, the old tropes of the, the, the white savior, the, 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 the black helpmate, you know, the traditional subservience and stereotypes of black people. Um, ironically enough, the woman's Jewish and, and the, the main character, Morgan Friedman, who is the chauffeur in this film, is black. Yeah. So there we go. Black and Jewish relations. But yeah, the movie swept the Oscars. So that's, that is both, for me... A story about like my coming of age in the movies, do the right thing. Of course, Rosie Perez, no joke. Um, and also thinking about like this conversation today about the Oscars being still so white. I mean, here yeah, we yeah. are. And, and the way that movies matter, that, that both yeah. sort of how they represent our world and how they fail to represent and how we're sort of embroiled in that that dialogue with with films. We, we, we want to see the world through them and we also make sense of the world. That's right. Um, so we are going to dive into the movies today, and we are doing it with the perfect person, all right? Mm. We have Jacqueline Najuma Stewart back on the show. She was here on the, in, in season one. She is back on the show. She is the perfect person to talk about movies. She is the director and president of the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures, yes. the movie museum in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Her job is to make movies and the history of movies, the culture of movies, Make them into this giant museum and make sense of them. Make it important to the public. Yeah, she she actually is helping to build the museum from scratch. And in that responsibility, they have to design a program, which includes exhibition, which includes events, which includes film screenings. And as the senior executive of this organization, she's got a huge set of responsibilities, the caretaker of the official history of the Academy, as well as how the Academy teaches future generations about the meaning of movies. It's an incredible job. And listen, and Jackie went to prom with my brother, high school prom. (laughs) Yes. They got married. Have two children. <laughs> Jackie has known me and you yep. pretty much since we've been kids. You know, and, right. and she is my sister. I love her. Yeah. Um, just for the record, though, this conversation happened before we knew this year's Oscars winners. Uh, so we are excited about talking about the museum and learning a lot more about the role of the Oscars itself in shaping American culture. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, this conversation about Oscars so white and Oscars still being so white and wrestling with sort of race and culture and American identity as part of films. That's what we're going to unpack with her. That's right. Let's do it. Let's go. Roll the tape. Turn off the (laughs) lights. Hand me the popcorn. Let's go. So Jackie, we get to say something to you that we've not said to any guest oh. yet, which is welcome back yes. to some of my best friends are. <laughs> I love that. Well, that's welcome an honor. Back. <laughs> that is an honor. Yes. Thank you for having me back. Yes. For those who didn't have the the, the pleasure of hearing Jackie last season, uh, Dr. Jacqueline Stewart was our guest to help us unpack the meaning of interracial buddy films, the long genre, the nuances, the the lack of women in these films. Uh, it was our first episode when some of our best friends launched that that uh, conversation that we subsequently had with Jackie. So thank you so much for coming back on. Man, it's my pleasure. Man, the first episode. I mean, yes. that's that's incredible. We're family here in a way that uh, that people don't necessarily know. Your aunt and my mom. Grew 
grew up together. I mean, like BFFs for real. Totally. Yeah, right. When I was like a newborn. Yeah. And and you, you know, we we've all been connected since uh you know, since Khalil and I, I'd say probably ninth grade, you've known us. You well, were we go yeah. way back. It's pretty amazing when you actually count up the years, you know. We're getting old. We're getting older and yeah. wiser. I feel like we have really championed each other and all the work that we do. I definitely feel like yeah. my family is the baseline for everything that I've been able to accomplish. And you two are a big mm, part of that. I love so that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Well, needless to say, we're, we're proud of you. And, uh, you know, Ben and I talk a lot about Chicago being home base, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, you share that. But I went east, Jackie, and you went west. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you're now in, in, in the movie-making capital of the world. You are in Los Angeles, California. And uh, we were excited last year about your big promotion. You were then the Chief Artistic and Programming Officer at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. Yep. And drum roll, please. Da, 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 da. Now you are the President of the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. That yep. is awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing to me. <laughs> cute, cute, cute. Moving on up. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, yes. And 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 of course, uh, along the way, just as a testament to your brilliance, you just you know snatched a little your own little Oscars for Academia, a MacArthur Genius Award. Uh, in the yes. meantime, so uh, we are really proud of you. So we wanted to get this conversation started because it is Oscar season. It is that time of year when the biggest night in Hollywood. Uh, occurs, and we wanted to learn a little bit more about what exactly does the president of the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures do? Mm, great question. So the Academy Museum opened in September of 2021. So we're still kind of like a a, a toddler okay. almost, almost in our infancy. <laughs> um, and just to give some background, so the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences was founded in the late 1920s. And even back mm. then, the founders were like part of what we should have in terms of amplifying the arts of movie making is we should have a museum. So it's like been an yes. idea that the Academy has had for almost 100 years. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then over the generations, there were various attempts to try to bring it to reality. But really, this project in the form that it takes now, this campus that we have on Fairfax and Wilshire in Los Angeles, uh, mm. is about 10 years in the making. And, and Jackie, I, I visited the museum. Uh -huh. You, you gave goodness. me a partial tour and then I walked around with, with my son, Jonah. And, and it, it's, it succeeds on, in so many different ways. I mean, I, I think about movies being part of our culture and, you know, and that we're, we we're fans of them. And so there's like this kind of museum of just mm -hmm. fandom. And then there's also this museums are part of our history. You know, they happened at certain moments and they're also conveying history. And you're telling both the history of museum of movies and the history that they're encased in. I was so moved by just seeing like framed screens and inside of them different movies going on. Different di and, and in the way I would be in an art museum and to see that. Uh, to see this yeah. beauty. Um, it's powerful in all those different ways. It felt like there was something for everybody. I'm, I'm saying that I'm like, everyone should go because it's, it, you're definitely going to connect oh, with wow. us. That, that means a lot. I mean, that's our goal. That's really hey. the goal that we have. Yeah. You know, there are ways that um, our memories are activated by the movies that we love, our movie going experiences. I mean, I've heard you mm. and Jake, your brother, talk lots of times about memorable movie going experiences with the yeah. theater <laughs> moments we're like. And 
films that maybe you shouldn't have seen at a younger age, but you saw them anyway. Like they're just, there's an emotional connection that people have to movie going. So we want to harness that and honor that and always use that as an opportunity to get people to ask deeper questions and broader questions. So, mm. so, so that, that, gives, that gives me, I, I have a deeper question yeah. to ask you. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, it's actually something I, I don't think I've ever asked you or I uh-huh. don't know. And that you're so smart. You're like one of the smartest people yeah. I know. And, and you could have studied black culture and identity in so many mm-hmm. different ways. And you chose to do it through the movies, academically, as a curator, in all sorts yeah. of ways. Why? Why movies? Wow. Like, what do you love about yes. movies? Was there a moment for you where you like I've, you fell in love with movies and this mm-hmm. is it? Well, there's like two reasons, I guess. One, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. There's a um, kind of childhood connection. And the story I tell is that I have mm-hmm. um, three aunts. My mother's sisters were 20 years older than she is. So they were born in the 1920s. And uh, I was very wow. close to my aunt Constance, Zenobia mm-hmm. Lee, my aunt Connie my auntie. And um, she was a night owl. I love that term. So we were night owls. So my (laughs) sister and my grandmother, they go to bed after Johnny Carson went off. But we would stay up (laughs) and we would watch these movies that she remembered going to see in the movie theaters, movies from the 30s and 40s. And she knew everything about these old movie stars. And of course, these films had commercial breaks so we go downstairs and get a snack and talk about them. So it was really like this super intimate experience of talking wow. with someone who just loved and supported me so much. And I adored her. And we would just be up all That's night beautiful. watching these movies. So when I would get to college and people didn't want to watch black and white movies because they're in black and white. I'm like, <laughs> what is the issue there? Um, and uh, she just made me really interested in. I guess that's another thing too, as a black woman, questions come up all the time about how can you watch movies that have these racist things in them? Obviously these films- You mean like like the depictions of black women as mammy figures? That's right, as that's right. Black men caricatures as porters and shoeshine, mm-hmm. if, if they're in the movie at all, you know? Yes. Um, where do you find those points of pleasure in films that are not made for you? And, and in some cases are made against you. Um, Mm. so I think at a very early age, I had a strong understanding firsthand, um, experience that people who have been marginalized still find these points of pleasure. And, um, and sometimes that pleasure is through critique because when you would get some, you know, silly maid or whatever, Butterfly McQueen, there's this moment in Mildred Pierce (laughs) where Butterfly McQueen picks up the phone and she can't figure out how to. Well, she's like, hello, like you can be with speaking to the phone. Obviously, for white people, that's like, oh, dumb Negro yeah, maid. Right. For us, right. he's playing on the idea that, that this woman wouldn't know how to use the phone. So mm. it was really instructive to me to be able to appreciate good acting, amazing cinematography, compelling stories. And to to think about through her, like, how could she still love these movies, even when they have these moments that are obvious to us, really problematic. So that I didn't realize that was working in my subconscious for such a long time. And uh, when I went to college, I was an English major and Spike Lee kind of bursts onto the scene. And um, everybody's talking about his films and I'm looking at She's Gotta Have It. I'm looking at School Days and I'm just amazed by these films. They're just stylistically so interesting. And he's a voice that's so unique. 
but the representations of women in his films, I was like, what, what is going on here? And there was this kind of, you know, contradiction that so many women of color have to negotiate. How do you support mm. something that is so meaningful, potentially even progressive on a racial level, but then mm -hmm. raises so many problems, questions, um, when it comes to gender and sexuality. And I ended up writing my BA thesis on Spike Lee's films. And I, you know, wow. I, in, in so many ways, I'm still doing that. Like You're still doing that work. Uh, I, I firmly believe that we have to see these films. I, I don't believe in censoring films that have these problematic elements. I think we have to look at them and talk through them. And that's what I've been kind of training myself to do and hopefully educating others on how to do as well. I love, I love that. Jackie, we are going to take a short break and we'll be right back. <laughs> Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC, copyright 2024. J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. All right, welcome back to Some of My Best Friends Are. We are going to talk about the Oscars now, and this is the biggest night in Hollywood. We want to talk a a bit about how the Oscars each year um, sort of shine a light on where the country is in its long and tortured journey towards racial progress to, to racial justice. And of course, of the past several years, there's been a lot of ferment around representation at the Oscars. So just want to hear your thoughts about where the Oscars are at this moment, um, what it's like to be a custodian of the history of the Oscars um, and in this new role. Yeah, you know, we have an Academy Awards History Gallery at the museum, and it's actually um, something that folks can look at online as well, kind of scroll through and see these landmark wins and nominations and how the categories have changed over time. And uh, from what I have been seeing, it's like because of the Oscar so white movement protests that happened, there was a real effort on the part of Academy members, Academy leadership to craft a response. Um, And Mm. so the development of uh, criteria for really pushing studios to diversify their crews and their casts. Um, mm-hmm. a, a lot of what happens behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know this well, but sometimes it just bears repeating <laughs> that yes. you can't resolve centuries old problems in uh, two or three years. You have to create right. with a DEI yeah. initiative that That's you right. stand up and, uh, right. and just figure like, let's see the results. That's right. And just, you know, mm-hmm. put somebody in charge who seems to visibly reflect diversity and that solves a problem. What you have right. to do is you have to build um, sustained, sustainable initiatives that are looking 10, 20, 30 years ahead. And so okay. um, the Academy Gold Program, I think, is in many ways planting those seeds by placing young people in positions where they can grow and where the Academy um, is calling the industry to be accountable for that growth. Uh, Hmm. So that, to me, is really a strong indication of things that are happening now that we may not see like immediate results from, but that's not what we want anyway, I would say. It's about a much longer term set of solutions that we need to, to build. So, you know, when we look across, for example, the history of black filmmaking, it kind of, you see these ebbs and flows, right? In the 1970s, a lot was happening. The 80s, kind of a dip. And in the 90s, a lot of black independent filmmaking and a a dip and so on. But over the past few years, if you think about just the the breadth and the the ambition, and I mean that in terms of like um, production values and costs. The fact that Ryan Coogler has the career that he has right now. and um, Right. This is the director behind the Black Panther Marvel series. That's right. Yes. And Creed as yeah. well. And Creed. Yeah. And Creed. Yes. Yeah. Which is an amazing yeah. reboot of yes. the uh, the Rocky series. Yes. Sasha Penn. Ah, Shout out. Yes, <laughs> He's one yes. of the writers. Yeah. Um, looking at the things that Ava DuVernay is doing. Um, and she is yeah. a governor of the uh, of the Academy. The point I'm trying to make is just that I think that 
the key right now is to ensure that the people who are in place and getting into higher and higher places in the industry, their, their voices are really being heard in a way that I don't think was happening before. And I think we're just going to see the, the fruits of that in the next few years. Hmm. Jackie, I want to I want to pick up something that you said at the start mm-hmm. of that of that you actually have an exhibit about the Academy yeah. Awards, and I'm interested in that. I've I've been to that room of sort yeah. of seeing this, and I'm I'm curious of you thinking about your job of preserving that history of the Academy and the actual mm-hmm. award mm-hmm. show, and turning that spectacle of that event into a museum exhibit. Right. Yes. Like and and like what is it what is it you're you're even trying to do sort of in this conversation around diversity and representation and Oscar still so yeah. white and like you know to to sort of weave that into this this uh this exhibit. No, it's a great question. And Doris who leads the curatorial team that has really worked on the the structure of that exhibition, she drew on the things that are really the major touch points. So when you think about the Academy Awards, you think about the speeches. In fact, I think if we ever fantasize about giving a speech, it's like the Academy Awards moment is what we all kind of like, I'd like to, th- right. you know, that that's the <laughs> ultimate stage for giving a speech of thanking the people you love, of getting like this major global recognition. So the gallery has a sort of cycling array of speeches and we see the video of the speeches from Hattie McDaniel in 1940 to Ruth Carter winning for costume design for Black Panther. And, you know, we, so we keep that up to date too, because, and I have heard this literally from people who have won, like Hilda Gunadotir, who was the first, um, she won for uh, composing for Joker. And she said that okay. she heard from young women that seeing her speech inspired them to think that they could do work for film, like for major motion pictures. So, so it's actually really a big deal in terms of representation Absolutely. of seeing somebody up there on the Oscars night. It's not, it's alive in terms of That's that right. sort of representation. Yes. Yeah, it's that validation. Yeah, yeah. And, and just to pick up this point, I was thinking as you were describing it, it's also akin to a political speech, uh, not just the politics mm-hmm. that are on view in terms of how culture often is the sort of lifeblood of our politics, yes. Uh, but also in the way that so many of these speeches are in a formal sense political. That's right. That That's the right. occasion for acknowledging whatever this film's subject matter is or the individual who's being honored for it, if it is a trailblazing role or trailblazing individual, often tells us something about the country uh, or where the country is in its history at that moment. Absolutely true. Yes. I'm thinking about one of... Uh, pretty recent speech by Mia Neal, who was part of the Mm. hair and makeup team that won for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And Mm. starring Viola Davis, yes. Starring the amazing Viola Davis. So Mia gets up and she gave, as we have in our gallery, this brilliant speech tracing the history of her parents, um, the sacrifices they had made for her to be where she is. And then she says, you know, there's going to be a time when a win like this, this was the first, you know, Black person to win this award, that this will just be normal. Like, can we imagine a moment Mm. when this, it won't be a big deal that this is a first. And our gallery is so full of these firsts. And, um, and the goal is though, as she puts it so beautifully to get to a place where this is not the anomaly. So the symbolic meaning, even for the voters and for the public to recognize talent in all of its forms and to then provide more opportunities for people you know, uh, is deeply meaningful. And the Oscars is an incredible stage for that, too. 
Jackie, I want to I want to ask you about another person that's in that exhibit, Sashin Littlefeather. Yes. She rejects the award, and um, you've told me about this. He very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award, and the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry. Excuse me. You know, we see this amazing moment, this like tumult going on in, in, in the academy, in the audience. They don't know what's going on because somebody has walked up there who's not, they didn't know. You told me that uh, John Wayne is backstage and like he, he literally has to be held back from like that he's going to attack her. That's the her. story. That's that the right? story. Yeah. This is, to get back to what you were saying before, Khalil, this is understood to be the first political speech given on the Oscar stage because yeah, she- Yeah, I was wondering about that. And- um, you know, so it gets to these questions of, is this a place for politics? <laughs> it's already a could, place could, for I'm, politics. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, could we follow up on that really quickly? I mean, given that it was a political speech and for you as the custodian of the history of the Oscars are saying it's really the first one acknowledged as a political speech. What exactly was the backstory with Marlon Brando's own winning role for The Godfather, which of course is one of the most iconic canonical films ever made in Hollywood, mm-hmm. uh, and Sasheen Littlefeather? Like, how did how did that actually come together in terms of him not showing up and her being there in right. his place? Right, right. Well, I I can't not refer to our own Academy Museum podcast episode on this topic. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah. you can That's learn great. more I've there. heard it. Yeah, you're but, wonderful. Uh, okay. Maybe to summarize it, Marlon Brando, and we had his daughter, Rebecca Brando, here for a program just for our own team because we wanted to learn more about this background and history and educate ourselves. But she talked about how passionate he was with regard to um, – indigenous rights and Native American issues, Mm. and that he was really undergoing a a long process himself of learning that he had a whole library of books about Native American culture um, and history. He was getting woke. He was was (laughs) getting woke. I mean, you know, he he was, um, she was really reiterating to us that he was walking the walk as far as he could but he also mm-hmm, recognized mm-hmm. that he should not be the one to speak on behalf of Native American issues on that stage. So mm-hmm. he reached out to her. So she, he had planned to, given the film, even though the film has nothing to do with Native people, it was right. it was such a burning issue for him at that moment. And the American Indian movement That's and the right. second wounded knee uh, con- uh, confrontation between the federal government mm-hmm. and uh, Native populations was in the news and a big deal. And, yeah. and Marlon Brando's like, look, you know, this, it was his version of taking a knee in the Colin Kaepernick sense of it. That's like, exactly right. I am not going to participate in this, this uh, charade of a, of a country uh, that has consistently done what it's done to the Native people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I understand. I think, I think we're going to get you up on the stage, kid. We're, we're going to get you up <laughs> yeah, there to, to deliver. Right. Who, who do you want to replace? Yeah. Who, who do you want to go up in there and set up? Right? I'm going to go backstage and take care of John Wayne. That's what that's going to be my job. <laughs> but this Listen, action, Jackie, this is yeah, yeah. It's great. I was just going to say it really did call attention to what was happening at Wounded Knee at a moment when the press was not paying attention to it. And so it was uh, had material impact on that movement. Yeah. Well, it turns out there's so much more going on at the movies than, than any of us ever imagined. We're going to take uh, another break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about another history making moment in Oscars history. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. 
Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase, N.A. member, FDIC, 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. We are back. Some of my best friends are with truly one of our best friends in the world. And family. Jacqueline Najuma Stewart. Jackie Stewart. So, Jackie, you were at the Academy Awards last year with my wife, Danielle. You guys looked we sure amazing. Did. You were so beautiful. Yes. It was incredible. <laughs> Nicole Kidman came up to us and told us how good we looked. I'm just, I'm just saying. Well, well listen, I, I just have to cut in here for a second. So since I'm not married to either one of you, I just want a little word picture of what you were wearing that night. How about that? Oh, let's see. I had kind of, it was like, kind of like an indigo gown that had this fabulous mm. cape with it. It was uh, pretty right. extravagant. And Danielle had on this really beautiful kind of structured um, pink 
just gorgeous, gorgeous gown that uh, was yeah. it asymmetrical yeah. structure? It you know, it was like one shoulder, four the, feet yes. high. <laughs> Not four feet, but she, she was making a statement. She makes a statement in anything right. she wears. But yes, that she night she was pretty, pretty right on point. All right, all right, all right, mm-hmm. Jackie. So you, you guys are sitting in the up. audience. Okay, yes. And and listen, you know, it happens. Uh-huh. Will Smith, just in the middle of the, yeah. the, the ceremony, walks up on stage and slaps the mess out of Chris yeah. Rock. We all saw it. It was crazy. We, it took us time to process it. We're watching on TV. We can look up things on the internet. What was it like just being there? Like, what were your immediate reactions? Yes. So it seemed like a joke. You know, it was so loud, mm. maybe because of where Chris Rock's mic was. You could actually hear it? You could, was, you it could hear loud. the... Yeah, it was so loud that I thought oh, that was just like a wow. sound effect. Um but then it became clear that it was something that really happened. It was jarring. I would say it was jarring to everybody in the room. Listen, I just I used to run a museum, uh, the Schomburg Center, as you well know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Uh, so if I were the curator of the film department at Schomburg, and certainly as director of Schomburg, we would be having a meeting saying, how does this come into our archives? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it just, um, you know, obviously the filming of the Oscars itself is already going to be collected sure. and preserved. That's obvious. But do you track the news cycle in order to be able to help a researcher make sense of this? Because when we are caretakers of uh, institutions like this, we have to think for people who will never even know this happened 100 right. years from now, um, and for whatever reason, a researcher may actually want to know the backstory, mm-hmm. how do you think today and how are your curators thinking today about how to make meaning of it for the future? Because that's yeah. what that's what our jobs are in these in these curatorial arch- archival roles. No, that's right. Well put, Khalil. That's, that's yeah, a good question. I mean, that was one of the very first things I was thinking of sitting in that balcony was, ah, <laughs> because we were all, I'm there, the team is watching also, and we're thinking about what that panel for <laughs> the 2022 Oscars <laughs> that we're going to put in the gallery, like, you know, we're yes. hoping within a month of the show, Yeah, what are the significant moments that we're going to highlight there? It's a pretty yeah. significant moment. What we did was not track the news cycle, but we were waiting for the Academy's response because there mm. was a period of time in which the governors were meeting and there was a lot of conversation among the membership about, are there going to be consequences? If so, what are those consequences going to be? And that's what we ended up writing up in our, you know, we talk about all the other amazing things that happened that night, like Ariana DeBose becoming the first Afro-Latina to win uh, an Academy Award and Troy Koster being the first deaf actor to win an award. There were so many other things that were significant. And the model for our gallery is, you know, to list a variety of things to try to to give a sense of what the important moments are, but also things that signal cultural shifts or shifts in um, sort of academy approaches to awards and so on. But we had to write up this, this thing happened. This is how the academy responded. So that's one place where we're where we're documenting this, but also putting it in. And that's the shortest, that's the shortest, most immediate response. And like, you know, longer term museum making, like, is this something that will go into an exhibit? In I can imagine that happening for sure. You know, we, this is the 95th Oscars. So already we're thinking about the 100th. We have five years to think mm. about ways that we're going to narrate here um, the full century arc of the Academy and this, uh, you know, <laughs> this ceremony and this kind of um, 
industry self-recognition that is the Academy Awards. And, you know, this is definitely something, it's not just a matter of like highlights, lowlights. It's not that. It has to do with the way that um, our understanding of stardom has evolved over time. It it has to do also with the way that we're going to think about uh, the racial politics of the Oscars. I mean, this is obviously one of the things that was so (laughs) jarring for me. And I think for a lot of Black folks watching, it's like, this is a story about two black men happening on this international stage. Um, right. And then to think too about what I think all institutions need to think about, just like codes of conduct and expectations around behavior and, um, and what are the kinds of ways that we want to create cultures where people feel safe and welcome. And like, there's so many things we need to figure out overall along those lines that that became a signal moment for yeah. 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 I mean, I, I imagine there'll be some art or something made of it too. I mean, it was so such a Rorschach of what you said of like how we conceive of mm-hmm. race and gender politics and our culture. Like it was so loaded yeah. um, in very uncomfortable ways, but then also in ways that, that we can unpack. And, you know, for, for the actor, the star Will Smith, who is at the center of it and sort of, you know, broke protocol in all these ways. Um, he then is crazy. He goes on to win the Oscar, of course, moments later and has to give a, 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 a speech. It's just wild. Um, and he's been sort of, I mean, he's not, he's been banned, I think, from the Oscars for Well, a long the decision time. was that for um, 10 years, he would not participate in any Academy activities. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he couldn't yeah, be nominated. And, I mean, his, his, his hmm, colleagues may feel that he, you know, turns in a performance that is, yeah. um, you know, worthy of nomination. I'm glad you I'm glad you corrected that. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure about that. Khalil actually re- recently, you know, met up with him because Khalil was on the red table, the, uh, the yes. show that Will Smith yes, and his yes. family put together um, because Will Smith had this new movie um, and and he invited Khalil out to talk about the history. Mm-hmm. Khalil, did it feel like a kind of mea culpa tour? Did it feel like he was still responding to that moment? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's no question. This film that Will Smith makes is called Emancipation. It's set in the Civil War context about a man who escapes from slavery and joins the Union Army and fights for freedom. It's a really important moment because this man becomes the most photographed formerly enslaved person and helps just to win the tide for the Union in terms of the war itself. And I have to say, for me personally, um, being invited onto the Red Table to have this conversation, which was mostly about my expertise as a historian, did create a choice, right? It, it created a moment where, not unlike you as a caretaker of this institution, your your institutional imprimatur matters in a moment of controversy. Uh, my personal credibility um, in choosing to be in his space to essentially to help in a kind of diplomatic way say, you know, it's okay to watch this guy's film. <laughs> mm. Like yeah. it's complicated. Mm. Uh, but, you know, not that this has diddly squat to do with the Oscars, but it does have to do with, like, the choices we all make, right? And the choice I made at that point was that it was okay to let this film breathe and to essentially welcome Will back to the public mm-hmm. uh, space mm-hmm. um, for whatever it's worth. Well, and, um, but it was also an opportunity for you to share your expertise, right? Like, there are certain, there are these moments when it's not only a personal decision you're making or a career decision that you're making, although people may try to cast it that way at the moment. How could you do that? <laughs> yes, or that's what I'm saying. how could you not saying. do that? But it's also, um, 
we have to make these kind of measured decisions about, I try to look at the bigger picture. Like what is the bigger, the bigger picture? Right. I'm sure right. I had many colleagues who were like, why are you academy? Because people have such like polarizing associations with the academy. I really looked at the bigger picture. If this is an opportunity to share my expertise, not just like in terms of public interaction, but with a whole group of professionals who are going to be creating these moments of film exhibition and, and history writing, I just couldn't pass up the opportunity to do that. And, you know, yeah, you mean you mean just in this job that you're in now? Yeah, you're that's right. About. That's right. So yeah. the media cycle of crazy things that happen just never, never ends. Um, yeah. And I feel that we need to have people who are, and I hope that I am, like an ethical person, a, a reasonable person, a smart person, just in the rooms when conversations and decisions are being made about what these things mean, what they can mean in the future. And that means, you know, that you sometimes interact with people that you wouldn't have interacted with by choice before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah. uh, but it's essential if we're going to move any of this stuff forward. Yeah. Well, for yeah. what it's worth, Will's, Will's a nice guy and so were his kids. So uh, <laughs> for what it's worth. <laughs> and and you also get to interact with, with people that you admire right. and that you've sort of seen from afar. And, you know, this is, that must also be amazing. It's incredible. Times. It really is. Yeah. No, it's true. We have so many amazing supporters and there are also so many just uh, incredible black movie professionals who have welcomed me with open arms to the museum and offered their support. Um, it's been deeply meaningful. Yep. Oh, well, that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep yes. on doing the great work. Uh, you know, we are your your biggest oh fans. Gosh. I'm so proud of the two of you and this space <laughs> that you've created for, you know, these conversations. It means a lot to me to be your first repeat guest. And uh, <laughs> yes. Oscar for best museum president. <laughs> there we go. It goes to Jackie Stewart. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jackie, for Thank coming you. on. Thank you. Love you both. Love you too. Love you too. So Khalil at the Academy Museum, mm -hmm. uh, one of the exhibits they have is you go into a booth and there's a screen that films you as you accept the Oscar. Oh. You actually hold up an Oscar <laughs> and you know you give it you it doesn't actually record your words but you know you you say them and you put up your hands. It's really awesome. I mean you 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 imagine what you would say in that moment. And what's the film that you imagined having made when you did that while you were there? Come on, it's a screen adaptation of some of my best friends are. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was I thinking? Because I, well, I, I was, I got writer, actor for playing both roles. You know, like I did, like the the face off thing where I had to play both oh, like of us. John Travolta, that movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and it was man. like Soul Man too. You're silly. You're silly. <laughs> you know. One of the things that just jumped out at me in this conversation was that moment of John Wayne backstage. And I, the moment you told that story and, and about Sasheen Littlefeather and John Wayne wanting to literally uh, come out and attack her uh, yeah, like, for it, it her really activism. Was like, it's like him imagining, you know, he's this Western star and really imagining this like cowboys and Indians fight in a, of American history. It turns out, I think you know this, that there's even more to Sasheen Littlefeather's story that upon her death, 
her sister came out and said that she was not native, that Sasheen Fe- Littlefeather was not native, uh, even though sort of her activism throughout her life was on behalf of native people. Wow, it's like Rachel Dolezal, man, like, or, or, or 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 going or going back to Soul Man again, back out back. Where it's all it's all circular, kid. It's all oh circular. Oh my God, what a crazy right. country we live in. <laughs> all right, I'll see you in the movies. I'll see you there. Love you. Love you. Some of my best friends are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. This show is produced by Lucy Sullivan. It's edited by Sarah Nix with help from Keishel Williams. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wong, and our managing producer is Constanza Gallardo. At Pushkin, thanks to Letal Molad, Julia Barton, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, Greta Cohn, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan, the brilliant Avery R. Young, from his album Tubman. You definitely want to check out his music at his website, averyryoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and a review. And listen, even if you don't like it, give it a five-star rating and a review. And please tell all of your best friends about it. Thank you. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.